This morning we are starting a new sermon series, and uh, I think the kiddos will enjoy this one. There's a lot of battles and things like that that take place. We are in the book of Joshua for the foreseeable decade. At least that's what it feels like at times going through these longer books, but this is probably my favorite Old Testament text. I love the story of Joshua. I love the continuity between the book of Joshua and the New Testament. And I'm going to try to show that over the course of this sermon series. This morning's message is entitled, Be Strong and Courageous. Promises Made. Recently, while on a road trip, Me and Crystal and Jackson in the back. Jackson became very interested in where our family came from. He was wanting to know basically who, you know, where where did we come from? You know, did did we come from aliens or something? You know, where where was it? By the way, if you're curious, aliens, that would be Ohio, right, Dad? Okay, all right, all right, very good. I realize um, that you can do those online family tree things and even send in your DNA. And I believe that my sister has sent in her DNA. So now Russia has that data. Um, So that seems just a little invasive for me uh, because I could just see like in 20 years, I'd look across the street and there's going to be another me just 20 years younger than me, that they've cloned me somehow and he'll be more handsome. Just I won't like that. So anyway... It's just not that important for me to send my DNA somewhere just to find out that I'm 164th Norwegian, right? But in order to avoid, what, what, Brady? Well, in order to f- avoid any future calamity, I, I did look up all of our last names in our family. And if you've ever done this, you know that there's a lot of variability, right? And so one last name could lead to lots of different things. And in one of those cases, I happened to read... In the midst of about 20 other things, I said the word Viking. And that is all that Jackson heard, was that he comes from the Vikings. Basically, they were saying that one possibility is that, based upon your last name, you could come from Scandinavian ancestors. But that did not matter to him. What he heard was that he is a descendant of the Norse gods and Thor, the god of thunder. I mean, he's ready to get a hammer, folks. But regardless of where we are, whether we are descendants from Vikings or English vagrants, which is probably more likely for us, where we come from is important. Genetics and inheritance can determine many things, both for an individual and a community, and can, can tell where we're coming from, and in some ways, it can actually set the direction. And this was exceptionally important for those in the Bible. So oftentimes when somebody asks us, you know, where do you you come from? And unless you've done one of those family trees or unless your, your ancestors have really kept track of that, most of us don't have a great idea. We have some idea. Uh, where our like our last name came from, and you know if we have red hair, it might say something about us. But in general, we may not know specifically where we came from. 
But if you ask somebody in the times of the Old Testament, or if you ask them in the New Testament where they came from, they would be able to tell you exactly where they came from, and it mattered to them. For the Israelites, knowing where they came from was very important. It mattered with regards to land and inheritance, but more importantly, it mattered knowing that their past, present, and future was a product of fulfilled promises, the fulfilled promises of God. And I would say the same for believers in this room. You may not know exactly what your heritage is, but I can tell you this morning that if you are a believer in Christ Jesus, you are numbered in the stars that were promised to Abraham many millennia, many millennia ago. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 5 through 8, Moses writes this, And Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moray. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. God made a promise to Abraham saying, this land will be given to your ancestors. He did not say that it would be given to him. This was a promise that was being made that was going to be fulfilled in the future. And what does Abraham do? He worships. He worships because the Lord Yahweh has made a promise. Early on in God's story, we see that he is already making plans to set aside a parcel of land for his chosen people, for the Israelites. Now, you might be asking, why did God choose that particular piece of property, right? Why, why, did, he, why did he choose that piece of property? And if you're into real estate, Debbie Hawkinsmith, what do they say when it comes to where you choose? They say location, location, location. Is that right? Okay, I, I've seen enough of those shows on HGTV. And can I just make one little comment about that on the HGTV when they're like getting a house? Isn't it always funny that the persons that are looking for the house have some sort of job like collecting stamps or trimming bushes, but they're looking for a home that's like $3 million? Just an observation. We cannot be 100% clear on why God chose this land, but we do know that it was a fertile land. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. We know that. We know that it was built for prosperity, that it was a prosperous land. And what we also know is that it was strategically located as a bridge between Europe, Asia, and Africa. Now, that is an important thing for commerce, right? 
That makes, that makes sense, right? That, that would be a great place for God's people because it would be this land bridge that would be able to meet all these needs. But I want us to think deeper than that, and I want you to think more of the providence of God in the future. Think about how God's people are to be promised this land where eventually, eventually, the church would be birthed out of. That being a land bridge to Europe, to Asia, and to Africa would make an ideal spot for the church to be birthed for the kingdom of God to expand across the earth. No better place for the kingdom of God to begin than a place where they can reach all four corners, correct? So I just find that to be an interesting thing that the Lord would have that in his mind as he was planting his people. But in the same way, Joshua serves as a bridge. The book of Joshua serves as a bridge in God's word. It bridges between the promises that were made by God and those same promises that were fulfilled. That's what we see. We see a bridge between those promises that were made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and how those promises are now coming to fruition through Joshua as he begins to take the people of Israel over the Jordan into the promised land. We see in Scripture that God's promises are not filled, fulfilled in a vacuum, but rather as He works through His people and even His enemies. Some ask, well, why does God do it this way? Why doesn't God just snap His fingers and, and make things happen, right? Because God, in His infinite wisdom, chooses to do His will through His people. You might say, why doesn't he just immediately cause someone to believe? Why do we have to go on this mission for the gospel and share the gospel? Why doesn't he just snap his fingers and make all these people believe? Because the mechanism by, by way by which God accomplishes his goals is through the people, through the proclamation of his word. And so his promises are not fulfilled in a vacuum, but rather as he works through his people and even through his enemies. And we're going to witness in Joshua that obedience to his will can only come through strength and through courage. And so the book of Joshua begins with new leadership. So Moses, the triumphal leader in Exodus, has died. God told Moses that he, was going to be, that he was going to die and that he was going to be buried with his fathers. And if you remember, Moses was informed that while he would be leading his people out of Egypt and leading his people through the wilderness due to their disobedience, that Moses himself would not get to step in to the promised land. He would see it, but he would not be able to step into it. That was the role of his assistant, Joshua. And in fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 23, it says, And the Lord commissioned Joshua, the son of, son of Nun, and said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them, I will be with you. Now, if you go back into Deuteronomy chapter 31, God makes this promise to Joshua. He commissions 
Joshua anoints him, if you will, to lead the people of God into the promised land. But before that, what he also promises is this, is that the people of God would time after time, and I will use the word that the scripture uses, whore after other gods and after idols, that they would, cha- they would chase after other individuals, other gods, other, other religions. But Joshua was being commissioned to go forth and take his people into holiness, into this promised land that was promised to Abram. Now, what I love here is that in Deuteronomy 31, now remember Deuteronomy was written along with the previous four books by Moses. And it says, and God, Moses writes that God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. And what we find in chapter 1 of Joshua is that Four times in that first chapter, it is saying of Joshua, be strong and courageous. I love that. It's just on repeat. So there must be something to that, and that's what I want to look at this morning. God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous as he fulfills the commission given to him. And we're going to discuss that more, but we don't know a terrible amount about Joshua except that he was the son of Nun and was given the name Hosea. Now, that was his original Hebrew name, and that means salvation. It means salvation, a very generic word. But then Moses changes the name of of Hosea into Joshua, which is sort of a synonym, but more specific. It actually means Yahweh is salvation. That's what Joshua means. Yahweh is salvation in the Hebrew. But here's what's even more fascinating. I love names. I love names in the Bible because they mean so much that in the Greek, Joshua is translated into Jesus. It's Jesus in the Greek. And I do not believe that that is by accident. Now, as we know in Scripture that names have purpose, and Joshua's name or his names are quite significant because Joshua was God's chosen instrument to bring the people across the Jordan River into the promised land. So whereas Moses was bringing the people of Israel out of, the, out of Egypt in the Exodus, quite quickly after that, They were relegated into exile into the wilderness for 40 years that Moses was with them. And then it is Joshua's task to bring them out of the wilderness into the promised land. And so if you will, he's bringing them out of a pre-exile, if you will. If If I could say it this way, he's saving them. And God tells Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, Verses 2 through 3, it says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over the Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving you, to the people of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot would tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. God is fulfilling his promises that he made, not just to Moses but that he made to the patriarchs, to Abraham, to Isaac, 
and to Jacob. And every place that the soles of their feet would touch was theirs. Just imagine that. Every time they took a step, they were treading on land that was promised to them by God. And that is the grace of God revealed to the people of Israel. Moses was informed that he was not the individual that would lead them into Canaan, that that task would go to Joshua. And what we see as a new leader is now appointed by God, that leadership matters, doesn't it? Who is chosen to lead? A group of people has huge significance. Leaders such as Moses and David would lead their people into greater prosperity and freedom and even holiness. But leaders such as Rehoboam and Ahaziah led their people into idol worship and failure. Joshua would lead the people of Israel to victory over tribes of the Canaanites and to obey the book of the law. Or the Torah. I think about leadership in our own context. Because to lead a people to fulfill their own glory and their own desires and their self-centered goals, it takes nothing more, nothing more than an individual willing to fan the sinful flames that naturally presents themselves in a fallen world. That doesn't take a great skill set. To lead a group of people to fill their own hedonistic desires, just fan the flame that's already there. It would be very easy for every one of us, every one of us, just to chase after our own goals. It takes sacrifice, dare I say, strength and courage to chase after Christ. Much sacrifice is made into be a follower of Christ. That does not just happen in a fallen world. In a fallen world, we are predisposed to chase after our own glory. And leaders whose aim is their own glory, all they have to do is fan that flame. That's all they have to do. But Joshua was told to be strong and courageous. He was told not to turn from the right hand or the left, but to continue to follow the book of the law, to follow the word of God, to lead his people into greater holiness. It takes both strength and courage, and that can only come from God. So let's look at strength and courage this morning. Joshua It's written in chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. And I should say this real quick before I read this. Some wonder who wrote Joshua. And we're not really going into all the background of this. It is very possible that Joshua wrote the majority of this book. It's often attributed to him. It is also possible that Samuel wrote Joshua looking backwards based upon some of the language. And certainly Joshua didn't write about his own death. Somebody wrote about that. That'd be quite the prophecy right there, right? So somebody did help in writing this, but either way, it doesn't matter. The stories are true. So let's look at verses 6 through 9. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, 
Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you... Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I want you to to hear that. He says, be strong and be courageous. But he doesn't just leave it at that. He says, be strong and courageous for your God is with you wherever you go. We'll come back to that here shortly. But inheriting that land that was promised to them was not going to come through complacent or apathetic behavior. They weren't just going to be able to meander on the land, do whatever they want, and acquire this land that God had promised them. There was work to be accomplished. There was work to be done, and that work was going to require strength and courage. It was going to require nothing less than complete obedience to God's Word. Prosperity as the world measures it, often comes through the neglect of holiness and godly obedience. How many individuals have made their wealth on the backs of other individuals? It is often the case. How often has wealth been acquired through the neglect of a commitment to Christ? It goes without saying that true commitment to Christ will require you to sacrifice this world and all that it brings. You will have to make a choice. If you have not done it yet, you will at some point have to make a choice. Am I a follower of Christ or am I a chaser after this world? To prosper in the spiritual sense, to find love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, it requires us to submit ourselves to a higher authority. It requires us to submit ourselves to God's Word. That's, it, it, it absolutely requires. The Lord says, do not turn from it, do not turn from it to the right hand or the left, that you may have good success. Wherever you go, this level of commitment requires both strength and courage. And the Lord understood that the Israelites were going to face numerous temptations as they cross into that Jordan. It was going to be a new land. There were going to be new dangers. There were going to be many strangers that they were going to be facing. And Joshua would would face those same temptations as their leaders. And as Christians... We do not get to the opportunity to treat God's Word like a Chinese restaurant. Now, what do I mean by that? We do not get to treat God's Word like you go into like China Walk or China Buffet, and they give you, you, know, they, they give you your drink, and then you go up, and there is this, this plethora of food before you, and you get to choose what you like and what you don't like, And then you come back, you eat it, you get to try it out, and you get to go back if you don't like it and get something else. 
That's how we treat buffets. That is not how we get to treat God's Word. It says very clearly, do not go to the right, do not go to the left. What does it mean? It means stay straight. And everything that is in God's Word is straight. There is nothing in God's Word that is not authoritative. Everything, you don't get to choose. We do not get the opportunity to say, well, I like that part of God's Word. I don't like that. It's a little spicy. I'm going to get this because it's sweet. You don't get to do that. Everything, everything is authoritative in God's Word, and everything causes us to follow Christ more obediently. At times, I wonder whether or not we view Scriptures as having portions that are more or less authoritative, when in reality, all of it is inspired. And for Joshua, it was all or nothing. And it is, for the same, it is the same for us too. And today, that is what we're seeing as we move forward. And that's what Joshua is going to see, is that the people of God are going to want to synchronize their religion with the inhabitants of Canaan. And what they're going to choose to do is they are going to keep certain facets of their faith that benefit them, that they enjoy, and they are going to reject those things that are inhibitory, that are negative, that cause, that cause them to feel constrained, and they are going to chase after those behaviors and activities of other religions and the native people there that allow them the freedom to go after their own glory and their own desires. And we might look at them and say, those heathens, but we do the same exact thing. And we're seeing this right now, even in the church. I talk about this in the global church sense, is that we have individuals that want to say, all you need is love. It's a Beatles song. All you need is love. And what they really are saying this, just love people, but don't hold them accountable to the truth of God. Now, I agree 100% with love people. 100% full stop, love people. And one of the ways that we love people is by showing them the truth. The truth that you do not get to selectively choose to follow or choose to disobey because it doesn't fly with your contemporary sensibilities. We don't get to do that. You don't get to follow the command, love thy neighbor, but ignore the command, flee from sexual immorality. You don't get to do that. But so often, many of us do. And it does take strength and it does take courage, but God promises that He will be with us. He says, I will be with you. Joshua 1.9, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Wherever you go. How is it that Joshua is to be strong and courageous knowing the challenges that he faces? New land, new people, new battles, and new temptations to overcome. 
And the answer to that is this. It is knowing that God will be with you. I've used this analogy before. But our children are much more courageous when mom and dad are with them. We have some kids that will refuse to go upstairs in their own home. You have told them, there is nothing up there except a messy bedroom. That's what you should be frightened of. But there is nothing up there, and they will refuse to go up there until what happens? You stand up, and you go up there with them then they are the bravest soldiers in the world. They'll sprint up those stairs at that point. They will sprint up those stairs like there is nothing to fear. And what's funny is you kind of make stomping steps, but you don't actually follow. Then they realize when they turn the corner that you're not with them. Right? They're not brave anymore. Malachi knows what I'm talking about. All right? What's the difference? It's because they trust you. You are not going to let anything happen to them. Joshua can be strong and courageous. We can be strong and courageous knowing that God is with us. There is nothing to fear. There is nothing to be dismayed about knowing that Christ has promised to be with us. And that first chapter should be very recognizable to us when we consider the Gospels. Let's think about this. What does Jesus tell us in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20? And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We're not going to the right or the left. It's all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you. To the end of the age. It sounds very familiar to what God told Joshua in chapter 1. And what we find is this, is that God doesn't change. God is not demanding something new of us that He didn't demand of Joshua back then. Be strong and courageous. Go forth and follow my word. I will be with you. And Jesus tells us, The same thing. Christ gave his disciples a commission to go forth and spread the word. And Jesus was instructing the disciples on how they were going to expand the kingdom. It was by spreading the gospel. Likewise, Joshua was being given instructions on how he was to expand the kingdom. Now, there is a difference. There is a difference. By the way, the kingdom is expanded in the Old Testament And in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, it is through the sword. In the New Testament, it is through the gospel. But there is still a similarity, and I will share that here in a second. If we look at Acts, we see how all of this took place. We see how the gospel expands in Acts. And in Joshua chapters 2 through 24, we see how the kingdom of Israel expands There's great similarities between these two things. And the continuity between both of these, between what God tells Joshua and what Jesus tells the disciples, is that He will be with them. 
The task that God has put before us truly is mission impossible. There is no amount of special effects or Tom Cruisiness that we can do to accomplish this mission. It is a mission impossible outside of Christ. Joshua would not have been able to accomplish his task were it not for the Lord. It is a mission impossible if we attempt to accomplish this task on our own. If we imagine our strength and courage being born from our own willpower, we will crumble. But our strength and our courage comes from knowing that Christ is with us as he was with Joshua through his word. So as we conclude this morning, I want you to think about this. Is that we may never find out if we are Vikings or not. Even though secretly I hope that I do find that out. We may not ever find out what group of people we come from and where we come from. But we can say that as Christians, we are people of the word. And really, that's all that matters. It does not matter where we come from. It does not matter what we look like. What really matters is that we are believers in Christ Jesus and that we are people of His Word. We are numbered in the stars that the Lord promised to Abraham. And no matter where we come from, we can be strong and courageous knowing that Christ is with us until the end of the age. So finally, in Joshua, we're going to see that the kingdom is going to expand, like I said, through the sword. A lot of blood will be shed so that Israel will be able to acquire its new land. But in the new covenant, there is no more blood that needs to be shed because the blood of Christ frees us from all sin. We do not have to go forward with the sword because the cross of Christ has gone before us. And that's the message that we should take forward to fulfill our mission that Christ gave us and we go forward with it with strength and with courage knowing that the Lord will never leave us and He will never forsake us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for the truth of Your Word, for the Gospel, for the whole Testament. And Father, we give You praise and glory for that. And I pray that as we go forward from here, Lord, that we would go forward with strength and courage, knowing that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us, trusting that the blood of Christ is sufficient to cover all sin. Father, help us to neither swerve to the right or the left, but for us to stay true to your word and to your testimony. Help us to be faithful in all things. Father, if there are those in here, if there are some 
who have not yet given their life over to Christ. Father, I pray that they would commit their lives to Jesus today. That you would save them. That they would be baptized. And they would go forth in obedience. There may be some in here who recognize that they have not been as faithful or committed as they should be. Father, I pray that today they would repent from any sin in their life and that they would go forth saying, as for me and my house, we choose to serve the Lord. Father, we love you and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.